Hello, welcome to Fuzzy Logic on 2XX Canberra Community Radio for your science on a Sunday. I'm Tom Strait and I'm joined by Rod as my co-host today and we're very excited to have on the show Andrew Blakers who is a developer of solar technology and an expert in energy and technology economics. So um, welcome to the show, Andrew. Um, oh, I'm going to turn your mic on. There we go. Thank you. Good Thanks so much for coming in. And um, good morning, Rod. Uh, do you want to say hello? <laughs> oh, I haven't got your mic on. Okay, there you go. And good morning, uh, Tom, and good uh, morning, Andrew. And uh, looking forward to this conversation because energy in Australia is a really important topic and we're just seeing the kerfuffle going on. And we want to try and cut through some of the nonsense and see what's really happening. And I can't think of a better person than uh, Professor Andrew Blakers. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Andrew, I've been um, really impressed by listening to some of the other uh, podcasts that you've that you've done, and um, maybe we could start off with a big picture of where where do you think um, our energy um, future is going around the world? What's happening um, with our, with energy? Well, energy and greenhouse are intimately linked. Um, in Australia, if we got rid of all oil, gas and coal use, we would get rid of 85% of our greenhouse gas emissions. So climate change absolutely requires us to get rid of fossil fuels. And the only two technologies for generation that can replace fossil fuels and the right timescale at the right price are solar photovoltaics and wind. So solar and wind are excellent solutions and they are going to go to pretty much completion in terms of generating all of the world's energy by the middle of the century. So currently around the world, two-thirds of net new generation capacity is solar and wind, and all of the uh, coal, oil, gas, nuclear, hydro, and all the other renewables put together are crammed into one-third, and that one-third is shrinking. So in Australia, 99% of all new generation capacity is solar and wind. Solar and wind have won the energy race and the argument now is over how fast we can move them into the energy mix in order to get rid of all the remaining oil, gas and coal. So 99% of all new energy generation going in today in Australia is solar and wind. That's right. And what about the, the government's talking about putting in new gas-fired generation, is that right? Uh, gas is a bit tired. Gas is actually shrinking. So yeah. in the national electricity market now, gas is... Um, down below 8% of all generation and solar and wind are up above 20% now and heading for 50% in of 2026 total of total production. Yeah. So gas is the, the, the notion that gas is some sort of transition fuel or is going to get us out of uh, COVID recession is complete nonsense. The facts on the ground are completely otherwise. Right, for the economics of um, what, what's cheapest to, to put in. Yeah, that's right. I mean, gas um, gas is currently used only for peaking. So on a hot summer afternoon, you would turn on the gas-fired generators. This, uh, it, it's scarcely used at all for bulk energy generation. It's down at um, below 8% now of the total in the natural electricity market. And um, as batteries and pumped hydro comes on stream, then gas is going to get pushed out of the peaking role as well. There's very little future for gas. 
uh, not even not in electricity generation, not in low temperature heat, because heat pumps for heating your air and water, are killing gas in um, in cities. And in the very near future, it's cheaper uh, to run a heat pump than to have it's a much cheaper gas over the power. over the long term. Yeah. It's much cheaper to run uh, ele- electricity for heating rather than to run gas and meta- and better for the environment. Right. And in industrial heating, gas is uh, under severe threat as well because the solar and wind price just keeps coming down. So if you want heat at 500 degrees in your factory in the very near future, the cheapest way to get it is simply to run an electric furnace. So you're saying it's cheaper to install solar and wind and storage, like pumped hydro or batteries or end batteries. And thermal storage and too. And thermal storage than to put in Gas oh yes, it, it, it's yeah. it's absolutely the case. Right. So in advanced jurisdictions like us, like the ACT, um, we are looking at um, whole suburbs now not having gas put in, and new uh, suburbs that are being built. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I've just been through the exercise of getting rid of all my gas from my house. I had gas water heating and I had gas air heating, and uh, I got rid of it all. And um, I've now got six and a half kilowatts of solar on my roof and all electric house and my greenhouse gas emissions have gone to zero from the house because i'm producing as much electricity from my solar as i'm using for all of my household energy so with that with the aid of a heat pump basically your house becomes carbon neutral if you've got a um, six or so gigawatt uh, kilowatt solar system on your roof now there's a bit of talk in canberra of about the gas supply being or we're moving away from gas supply but what about the idea of putting or injecting hydrogen into the gas network um, this is moonshine um, you can put five or ten percent hydrogen into a, a gas no- network maybe but why would you bother um, the round trip efficiency for producing hydrogen is just appalling you start off with um, solar and wind generated electricity then you throw away 30 or 40% of it while you put it through an electrolyzer to create hydrogen, and then you burn the hydrogen with an efficiency of 50% or less. Why would you do that when you can use the electricity directly? So you're only getting something like 30% of the original energy that you captured from the solar farm. Oh, that would be a very efficient system, uh, more like 20 or 10. So would would you agree that uh, hydrogen is an energy carrier? It's not an energy source? Hydrogen is the solution to the problem. I'm not quite sure what the problem is. We will eventually need hydrogen because the chemical industry requires hydrogen for synthetic jet fuel, for making plastics, fertilizers, explosives, all sorts of things. But um, at the moment, we get hydrogen by splitting methane, which is CH4, and uh, it's going to be that'll be the last use of gas to be displaced because there's no. Uh, the, the losses are quite small to get your hydrogen. In the 30s and 40s, we will need to get rid of that last use of gas by splitting water to make the hydrogen. But hydrogen as an energy carrier or energy storage is hopeless because its round-trip efficiency is one-third or one-quarter of what you can do with batteries or pumped hydro. Right. Well, what are we going to do for mobile fuel sources? So now we have oil uh, for and its derivatives for petrol um, diesel and so on what do we do like a car or a truck can be um, uh, battery electric but will it work for trains and and trucks and what about ships and aeroplanes uh, so for um 
transport for cars, electric vehicles have, have won. Um, they're going to go to 100% over the next 10 or 15 years simply because they're going to be cheaper. And, um, and, and the cost of running an electric car is so low compared with the cost of running an internal combustion engine. Trucks will go the same way. And that's, um, that's even without a carbon price. That's that, even without a carbon price. So even without pricing the pollution that you um, would be producing with internal combustion engine, it's still cheaper. Yeah. At the moment, electric vehicles and internal combustion engines, are, well, um, electric vehicles are still probably a little bit more expensive, and that's why uh, they're coming in at the premium, uh, in the premium market where people don't mind, have mm-hmm. the ability to pay a bit more. But as the cost of um, uh, solar cars, uh, electric vehicles comes down and down as you get scale up and up, uh, then as eventually... As they produce them in bigger and bigger quantities. That's right. Yeah. Then there'll be a crossover point, and that's probably within a few years, actually. So what about uh, ships and aeroplanes? Okay, so uh, long-distance trains. Um, the obvious thing is to just, just have uh, direct electric um, uh, cables over the train tracks, but that's a very small use of... That's a very small por- portion of total greenhouse gas emissions. Ships, it, it might well go ammonia, synthetic ammonia. Again, that's... Um, as a fuel source? As a fuel source. It's, isn't that a fertiliser? Uh, yeah, it can also be used as a fuel source. Okay. It's NH3. It's got plenty of oomph inside it if is you that, burn it. Is that what caused the explosion in Lebanon? Ammonia? Uh, no, no. That was right. ammonium nitrate, I think, oh, okay. which is something else altogether. You don't right. run your ship on ammonium okay. nitrate. <laughs> <laughs> Although you might carry ammonium nitrate in your so, ship. So that would be something you produce from hydrogen? From hydrogen and um, nitrogen from okay. the air. But I, I, I'm guessing that hydrogen as a fuel source is more important. We need that really uh, major energy density, so in planes and rockets. That's correct. And that's uh, that will be almost the last thing to be uh, converted to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the hardest. Because it's the hardest. And um, we've got another 20 years before we have to address that. In around about 2040, I would hope that we are starting to have seriously large numbers of aeroplanes that are powered either from liquid hydrogen or from synthetic jet fuel. Right. So you can make synthetic jet fuel, which is just the same chemistry as uh, ordinary jet fuel today, by taking hydrogen from water and carbon from the atmosphere. And the most energy-intensive bit of that is getting the hydrogen out of the water. The rest right. is, um, it's, it's all straightforward. Technically, the issue is that it has not yet been scaled up and there's a lot of work to get it scaled up at the right price. Right. And so it's, think, it's the last thing you'll but do. But you're saying it's got a low round-trip efficiency, so we're losing a lot of energy in the process of yeah. creating that fuel from renewable energy. So probably the fuel from renewables will be higher than from simply uh, digging it out of the ground as oil. Um, and this will, this will be one of the one the, of the, the cost, f- the fuel cost, the fuel cost, right? Might. And this will be one of the few applications um, that is actually more expensive to do renewably than uh, than fossil fuels. Um, so the cheapest electricity in history, according to the International Energy Agency in their recent World Energy Outlook, is now being declared to be solar, the cheapest electricity in history. Well, that's really lucky, isn't it? Yeah. So we've got electricity is about a third of our greenhouse gas emissions and wind and solar are taking over from coal and gas in Australia at a great rate. And then we have electric vehicles taking over from oil in motor vehicles. And we've got heat pumps and electric furnaces pushing gas out of space, water and industrial heating. And it's only this last bit, which is the chemical industry for fertilizer, explosives, synthetic jet fuel and the like, 
that um, we might end up with uh, a more expensive product. But for the other two-thirds, it's cheaper. So what's, would you say, the biggest barrier to the take-up of renewable energy in Australia is? So Australia is currently installing six to seven gigawatts of new solar and wind per year. So um, Australia is uh, currently around about 26% renewables. That's wind, solar and existing hydro. Uh, 20% from solar and the the rest from the existing hydro. Um, the six to seven gigawatts per year of wind and solar gets us to 50% renewables in 2025, most of it solar and wind, and to 100% um, around 2030 or 2031. The biggest barrier by far is the archaic rules around transmitting the solar and wind power from solar and wind farms in the regions into the cities. So at the moment, the high power transmission lines run from the cities to where the coal-powered stations are. And they are not necessarily at all the best places to put the solar and wind. So we need to run the cables to different places. And the rules around running cables are from the 20th century, and they just don't work for solar and wind. Solar and wind happens so much faster, and you need a much more nimble process. And it's been extremely disappointing that the federal government has done so very little to realise that we need to um, reform this process. So we have, uh, when we have clogging on our roads, we go out and build a new freeway. When we had clogging on the internet, we went out and built the NBN, which is, uh, it looks like, finally going to get properly built. We now have clogging in electricity transmission. We need to go out and build our electricity system properly. Now, what about the electricity market? So I met uh, Monica Oliphant uh, a little while ago, and she showed me this graph of what was happening in South Australia and the energy supply companies there, and I think they're vertically integrated as well, right? They would uh, withdraw supply, and suddenly the price of uh, per kilowatt hour, whatever the measure is, would shoot right up because there's a shortage and $10,000 and then they would pump in it in and make a killing and then they withdraw supply and, and there's this regular heartbeat of, of supply, the constricted demand and so on and this went on for the whole day and she said that the electricity company did something like, I can't remember the number, like $100 million or something crazy. But... Um, Maybe you don't want to comment on that particular... I'm happy to comment on that. Um, That problem is in the process of evaporating for two reasons. One is some big batteries have been installed that uh, do this um, price manipulation much better than the gas companies and they kill the the market for it, essentially, because batteries um, can uh, respond in milliseconds instead of in minutes. And the second is that the rules in the natural electricity market have finally been changed and that change will be implemented soon so that um, basically you uh, you get paid what you bid. Uh, so, uh, and, and both of these means this problem is in essentially in the past now. Is that the 30-minute block That's you, correct. that you, you, you sell? The market operates in chunks of 30 minutes, is that right? That's correct, but the um, you bid in chunks of five minutes. So if you bid, um, if you withdraw in the first five minutes, uh, withdraw capacity in the first five minutes and then pump it back in um, for the remaining 25 minutes you can do this price manipulation but that is being killed by having the five minute rule apply to everything 
and also by the batteries doing it much better than the um, the gas-fired power stations. So um, what I understand that, you, that you're, you've been saying is that um, well, batteries are really good for that really short time scale um, control of the amount, amount of energy on the, on the grid and the pumped hydro is the cheapest way to store large amounts of energy. Um, and there was recently a conversation an article in the Conversation magazine, I think it's a magazine, Online. called um, Pumped Hydro is Not Our Energy Future, It's Our Past by Bruce Mann and Steve Percy from Victoria University. And um, they're saying the cost of transmission um, largely makes pumped hydro uh, uneconomical in, um, in comparison with batteries. Um, that's For all crap. Crap is a technical term here. Um, what the article was actually about the headline was completely misleading the headline the article was not about uh, pumped hydro it was about the fact that if you want to connect tasmania's wind and pumped hydro to victoria you need to put in more transmission across bass strait under the sea and this is a straight out economic calculation of how much does it cost to put the new transmission in uh, up against the benefits of pumping wind from tasmania across that transmission line um, and the storage capacity in the Tasmanian hydro system to, to um, store energy. It's not exactly clear how the economics uh, falls, but it is neither spectacularly good nor very bad. And there is a, a couple of very good reasons why it's a good idea overall to put the Marinus link in under Bass Strait. One of them is that the wind from Tasmania is often blowing at a different time from wind in Victoria. And that means that you reduce the overall amount of storage you need in southern Australia. So it's not just for storage capacity. It's, it's also absolutely for... not just for storage capacity. Okay. The wind is a very important component of it. And the, the, the second is that transmission is so hard to come by because of the archaic rules. If somebody's offering to put in another gigawatt or so of transmission, then grab it because it means you can put in another gig or two, gig or, gigawatt or two of wind and solar. Right. Well, they gave an example of um, Gen X, which is a company um, up in Queensland that wants that's um, installing or wants to install a solar farm with a pumped hydro set up in an old mine site using the old mining pits, which seems like a, a classic example of the sort of sites that perhaps you'd recommend as a cheap um, option for creating pumped hydro because the holes in the ground or exist for storing the water and um, but they say that they haven't installed it because the the problems with getting the transmission connected and it's just not economically feasible for them to pay for it. So they're basically waiting for a subsidy from the Queensland government to build it. And because they haven't done it, it's not going to happen. Uh, what do you say to that? It's just nonsense. Um, it's, Gen X has had this proposal to um, put in a pumped hydro in, uh, in far north Queensland. They've already put in uh, a large solar farm there. They're now looking at a wind farm because it's got some of the best solar and wind in the whole country. Um, the, uh, the main issue is that there isn't enough wind and solar in Queensland yet to destabilise the grid and make storage necessary. Oh, okay, so, so it's, it's, not, it's not economically justifiable yet, but it will be once the um, more it, It's not even completely sure that it's not economically viable now okay. because if you put in a, a new power line running out past the, um, the Gen X site, 
it picks up a large amount of new solar and wind as well. So you get the double benefit of more solar and wind coming into the system, plus the storage from that um, storage site. There's uh, another uh, major power line extension being proposed for Queensland, which would be really good if it went ahead, and that's the um, copper strings uh, proposal out to Mount Isa. Mount Isa currently runs large uh, gas generators to provide its electricity. Um, if it was connected into the Queensland grid, then you would be able to put a large amount of new solar and wind on that grid and you will eat the gas market completely in Mount Isa. And uh, so you get the benefit of Mount Isa getting cheap wind and solar instead of very expensive gas. And the solar and wind that decor that runs along that power line uh, producing cheaper electricity in Queensland as a whole because it's simply cheaper than, than, than status quo. So, so with the Gen X plant, you're saying perhaps it's borderline economically right now, but as moving forward, it's clearly going to move into um, economic feasibility where there's a, a, um, they, they can make a profit off the... Almost, almost certainly. Yeah. Whether or not Gen X goes ahead depends on the, uh, whether the economics of that particular site stacks up because okay. there's a lot of great pumped hydro sites up right. in Downsville, a lot okay. of them. Okay. Um, but there's not much doubt that there will be um, large-scale storage in North Queensland yep. because the wind and solar there is so good that you really want to access it. And if you've got a constrained power line running south to Brisbane and Sydney, then having large-scale storage up in Townsville means that you can put solar power down that power line in the middle of the night. So you make that power line work 24-7 instead of just when the sun's shining and the wind's blowing. So right. that's the huge benefit of local storage, large-scale local storage, which means pumped hydro storage. Now here on Fuzzy Logic, we're interviewing uh, Professor Andrew Blake as we're talking renewable energy and opportunities for renewable energy. I think, Tom, maybe let's have a song break now. And when we come back, maybe we can talk a bit more about the opportunities for pumped hydro, because I understand you've done an analysis, you and your colleagues, of where the opportunities are in Australia here on Fuzzy Logic. And this is Desde Dentro from Wendia. Hope you enjoy. Lento bailar aires de dentro y Yeah. 
Again, you're listening to 2XX Canberra Community Radio. This is Fuzzy Logic for your science on a Sunday. And today we've got Andrew Blakers in, um, an engineer um, in solar energy from the ANU and an expert in renewables energy economics. Um, so now I'm going to throw to Rod. Uh, now, Andrew, uh, a, a physicist, of course, by, by training. Actually, let's just take a quick diversion. I hope you don't mind, Tom, but... Uh, your early work was at the labs of uh, Professor Martin Green at the University of New South Wales and developing solar technology, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I did my PhD under Martin Green's supervision at the University of New South Wales and I spent about 10 years there on a PhD and several postdocs. Okay. Now, your work more recently, well, you're still doing solar or PV development at the ANU, is that right? Um, yes, that's right. I'm spending more of my time working on 100% renewable energy futures now than on silicon solar cell technology. Um, so that's looking at the economics of the different solutions to changing the, our energy um, our energy system to 100% renewables. That that's right, right yes. Yeah. Okay, and part of that is pumped hydro. Now, I understand you've done this analysis. You've looked at the geography of Australia to decide where candidate sites are for pumped hydro. Can you just, before you answer that question, give a really simple, brief description of what pumped hydro is? Because I'm not sure we've covered that yet. 
So pumped hydro energy storage is when you have a pair of reservoirs of about a square kilometre or so each, and they're located close to each other, usually within a few kilometres, and they're at different altitudes, maybe five or 600 metre height difference between the two. You join them together with a tunnel or a pipe, and in that um, tunnel or pipe is an underground power station with a, um, a turbine. And when the water rushes from the upper reservoir through the tunnel, through the turbine, you can create electricity. Alternatively, if you put electricity back into the generator, the turbine spins in the opposite direction and becomes a pump. So during the day when the sun's shining, you would pump water from the lower to the upper reservoir. And at night when you want the energy back again, you um, reverse the flow of water and the pump becomes a turbine. And this isn't rocket science, is it? Because I understand this is the oldest technology ever used for electricity storage or close to it. Uh, yes, so pumped hydro energy storage is more than 100 years old. Um, it's extremely sophisticated technology, beautifully engineered, high efficiency, and it's about 95% of all storage power and 99% of all storage energy around the world. And in fact, the Snowy 2.0 pumped hydro system that's being built is probably larger than all of the batteries in the whole world put together. What's all the lithium batteries? All the batteries, not just lithium. Wow. Okay, now opportunities for uh, pumped hydro around Australia? Well, we did a global atlas. Um, we searched the entire world for off-river pumped hydro sites. So most pumped hydro is associated with river-based hydroelectric systems. So you have two dams on a river and they're close and so you run a pipe between the upper um, and lower dam and you have a pumped hydro system. But that means flooding rivers. So we went and looked for geographical sites that work away from rivers to avoid flooding rivers. And we found 616,000 sites around the world with um, 23 million gigawatt hours of storage, which is um, about 100 times as much as you would need to supply all of the storage needed for 100% renewable energy for the whole world when everyone in the world has the same amount of energy consumption as Australia. We are not short of low-cost, mature storage opportunities. In Australia, we found about 3,000 sites. We've got 300 times as much storage as we actually need. So out of these 3,000 sites, we only need about a dozen to do the whole job. So we've already got three in existence. We've got um, Snowy 2.0 being constructed. Um, if the uh, Marinus Link gets built to Tasmania, that's another one or two. Um, maybe Kidston up in the north and another uh, a much larger one somewhere in middle or south Queensland, another one in New South Wales, perhaps a couple in West Australia, maybe a couple up in the Pilbara. Job's done. And we have some existing sites, don't we? Like uh, Talbingo Dam. Um, well, we, uh, Talbingo Reservoir is the lower reservoir for the Snowy 2.0 system, which runs between Tantangra Dam and Talbingo. And that's a 350 gigawatt hour, 2 gigawatt system. So it's, it's big by world standards. It's, well, you make it sound so achievable. Why aren't more people talking about this? Uh, well, a lot of people do talk about um, pumped hydro. <clears throat> so before we did our atlas, the conventional wisdom was that uh, Australia is flat and arid and has mm. no further opportunities for hydro. And then we showed this is just completely wrong. It's only correct if you only look at rivers. But since 99% of Australia is not near a river, if you only look at rivers, you throw away 99% of the sites. As soon as you look off river, there are sites everywhere. 
Are we talking in valleys or what's, what sort of sites? What, what we're looking for is hilly farmland where the top of the hill is um, preferably four, five, six, seven hundred metres above the bottom and you find uh, micro um, valleys at the top and the bottom and you find this using um, geographical information system software that looks at um, the whole world's landscape at 30 metre resolution and um, when you find all these sites, you... So it can do that for you automatically? It's already, been, it's already been done. You okay. can go to our atlas. If you look up um, Global Pump Hydro right. Atlas at ANU, you'll quickly find it. And you can go and look for sites in your backyard. And, and so these are places... Uh, so people can look up your information about where there are good sites. Yeah, and that, if they go there, they will yeah. find um, a visualisation of the upper and lower reservoirs, the tunnel route, information about the amount of water, the amount of rock you've got to move to create the reservoir. So you've got to create head, a, the, a dam. Or, that's correct, yeah. yeah. And you scoop rock out from the um, upstream side of the dam yep. and then dump it to across a micro valley to create a, a reservoir. Right. And so... W- is this a problem for the amount of water flowing into the catchment in general? Uh, no, um, it's uh, water and land utilisation are trivial. So we've done the calculations for 100% renewable electricity in the whole of Australia. Mm. And we looked at the amount of storage you would need if all the storage was pumped hydro. It won't all be because there's demand management and batteries, of course, will share the load. But looking at the, worst, uh, at the um, extreme case where everything is pumped hydro, off-river pumped hydro, then the um, amount of land that you need per, per person to back up this 100% renewable electricity system is three square metres. That's the size of a queen bed per person. And the amount of water that you need per day to fill the reservoirs and replace evaporation is three litres per day. And that's about 20 seconds of a standard shower. Three so litres per person per day? Per, per second. Uh, three p- litres per person per day, which is the same as what you'd use in 20 seconds of a standard shower. Right. So it, the amount of water you need is a minuscule amount of the water taken for agriculture. Right. And the amount of land you need is a minuscule proportion of Australia. Uh, so what do you think about the ACT government's plans to build a giant battery in the ACT? Does that make sense or should they be going for pumped hydro? Um, within the ACT, there are no good pumped hydro opportunities. Um, the, there, there are in the Imagine National Park, but I don't think anyone's planning to build any there. Right. Um, there are some. There is one or two very good sites nearby, uh, Araluen, 50 kilometres east, and um, Brown Mountain and uh, the Bemboka area down south. Um, but uh, that's there in New South Wales. So the ACT government is going to put a battery, which is actually a very small amount of storage compared with a pumped hydro system, but it is uh, large compared with traditional batteries in the ACT. There's another very large-scale battery that is going to get built over the next 20 years, and that is as we move away from petrol cars to uh, electric vehicle cars, the amount of battery storage in all these thousands of electric vehicles is actually very much bigger than the battery that the ACT government's planning to put in. So do you see the batteries as an alternative to the pumped hydro, or is it... A They're complementary. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's foolish to imagine that it's one or the other. Both work much better together. Right. And it's just like wind and solar. It's foolish to think it's either wind or solar. Both together are much better. Because the, the batteries are more adaptable and the, the hydro provides the more like the base load, large amounts of power for long periods of time. Yeah, if you want, so, um, if you want energy storage for uh, seconds, minutes, or an hour or so, then batteries are the way to go. If you want energy storage overnight on a large scale, then pumped hydro is the way to go. Does Canberra need to worry about its own 
micro pumped hydro setup when snowy 2.0 is so close to us? Uh, Canberra doesn't really have a storage problem because we are so well embedded in the New South Wales network with um, mm-hmm. power lines from the Snowy Mountain Scheme and Snowy 2.0 going right past Canberra. Um, but it's it's good to pull our weight. Right, and, um, to encourage further storage generation. That's correct. And uh, one, of the, um, one of the nice things about um, battery storage is that um, they're killing the gas the market for gas peaking plant and the faster that dirty horrible gas is pushed out of the australian economy the better it really is a terrible way of making energy right well it's interesting andrew that you use this phrase a dirty uh gas because it was always positioned as being you know the clean alternative to coal now coal is so obviously dirty you can see the black putrid stuff but gas just feels a bit uh, a bit nicer, uh, but it's not right. Well, it was a triumph of marketing, natural gas. I mean, how could you push back against natural gas? <laughs> it's no more natural than uh, any than coal. Coal is, all, coal is also natural. natural. Yeah. It just happens to have been laid down 50 or 100 million years ago. So gas is a particularly insidious and nasty fuel because it comes along with methane and um uh, methane, le- natural gas is methane primarily, and methane is a far worse uh, source of greenhouse um, warming so than methane carbon dioxide. Before it's burnt, to a certain extent, small amounts of methane leakage mean that gas is actually worse than coal mm. on, say, a 25-year life uh, really? time frame. Because methane is such a bad greenhouse it's gas. It's much worse than than carbon dioxide. If you look over a hundred years um, time frame. Um, because methane is slowly washed out of the atmosphere when you release it, um, then natural gas is maybe two-thirds as bad as coal. If you look over a 20- or 30-year lifetime, it's worse than coal. We are better off to stay with black coal than to um, plump heavily for natural gas. So these are the so-called fugitive emissions. Fugitive emissions. How much... How much what sort of volume uh, does that comprise? Well, fugitive emissions are up around 8 or 10 or maybe even 12% of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions now. And these are the measured fugitive emissions. And it's disgraceful that the um, emissions that come from uh, coal mining and from gas mining in the broad scale, as distinct from at a particular industrial site, are not being properly measured. We just don't know how much fugitive emissions there are from um, mining of fossil fuels. Right, so probably higher than... It's almost... Well, it's certainly higher than the advertised number. So can we go back to pumped hydro storage? What's the round-trip efficiency generally? Um, Typically, it's 90% in each direction, so it's um, 81%. Roughly. So, that, so that's really good. And that, that's Batteries might be 85, 90%. Uh, yeah. And if you did it through electrolysis of water to make hydrogen and then back to um, electricity via a fuel cell, you'd be lucky to crack 25%. Right. And that's why hydrogen is a hopeless way of storing energy. Right. Really hopeless. Okay. And how does it compare to redox flow batteries? Do they have any um, chance? They're 85, 90, and there's going to be a whole flood of batteries coming in and competing for the market. Lithium's yep. got a huge advantage because it's got this enormous uh, automotive market. Yeah, so that reduces the prices through That's scale right. production. Yeah. And it wouldn't be the first technology that won because it got to scale first. Right. Are you thinking of anything in particular? Oh, VHS Beta is the one that's usually quoted, isn't it? 
Right. Now, since we're talking uh, efficiency, Andrew, I keep hearing about records being broken for uh, photovoltaics. Uh, we, we're pushing the efficiency of, of cells up as we go. And uh, this technology, I hope I've got the pronunciation correct. Is it perovskite? Perovskite, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where are we headed with that? And is it one thing to do something great in a lab, but another thing to get it into a market as a viable commercial product? Rather. <laughs> so at the moment, um, there's a, a revolution happening in photovoltaic technology. So until quite recently, the last couple of years, the um, majority of the solar cells made in the world were um, back surface field multi-crystalline solar cells at a, with an efficiency of 18 19%. Over just a space of three or four years, we have moved to monocrystalline PERC solar cells with an efficiencies that will saturate at 24%. So this increase from 18-19 up to 24% or so directly translates to a 25 or 30% reduction in the price of um, solar electricity because you need less modules, less transport, less fencing, less land, less everything if your cells are more efficient. Um, just as an aside, the PERC cell was invented by Martin Green and myself in the uh, 1980s and early 1990s at the University of New South Wales. It's now got about three quarters of the global solar market. Um, sales to date are about $80 billion. And the displacement of coal by the PERC solar cell um, will, uh, around the world will approximately equal Australia's entire emissions from next year. Oh, so this, this is a truly important Australian development. That, and that's wonderful. And we're very lucky to have you on the show here on, on Fuzzy well, Logic. It's, yeah, it's a remarkable achievement. What, what percentage of the market did you say? Three quarters. Three quarters. So the technology you developed is three quarters of the currently produced. Global solar market. And in fact, um, yeah. the PERC, PERC modules are being installed around the world at the moment at about the same rate as coal plus oil plus gas plus nuclear all put together. Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's fantastic news for the whole world. Are you a billionaire? Uh, no, and this is, uh, comes back to your point about easier said than done. So when the original work was done, the, um, the lab results looked really good and there were nice papers, but the technology wasn't there to implement it. And by the time the technology was there to implement it, any patents were well and truly expired. Well, that, that, that's a theme maybe we can follow up a bit more after a break. Because uh, uh, what does it take to get a great idea, a great bit of technology from a lab and into a production be. facility? I think that's probably a non-trivial thing. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear about your ideas on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I've, I've got a song here. Uh, I don't know if I can pronounce it. It's Tichirote by Cesar Evora. Uh, here we go. Bota papiada e massa e martim tirote na figueira Espuma fama, tudo alguém já tá com cheiro Esboca grande e raganhão, bota papia mais que ninguém Onde a menina, a boca tem comparação Bota papiada e massa e martim tirote na figueira 
Again, you're listening to Fuzzy Logic on 2XX Canberra Community Radio. Today we're talking to Andrew Blakers, uh, expert in renewable energy from the Australian National University. Um, I, don't, I just wanted to say if, if anyone's got any questions for Andrew Blakers or for any other scientist out there, please shoot them through to us at Fuzzy Logic Facebook page and we'll see if we can get a response for you and air them on future programs. And you can also uh, get a column in the Canberra Times and Australian Community Media, which uh, publishes across uh, rural Australia, and uh, for the Ask Fuzzy column. So email me at uh, askfuzzy at zoho.com or via Facebook Twitter. Right. Okay, so you can request a response via the, um, the Canberra Times column or uh, live on air on the radio. So... Um, now, I wanted to ask you, Andrew, um, about Australian electricity prices. Why are they so high? Well, we have to distinguish between wholesale and retail prices. Australian wholesale electricity prices so far this year are among the lowest in the world. And right. the interesting, interesting thing is that the more renewable energy you have in your electricity system, the lower they are. So Tasmania has the lowest electricity prices, 
and South Australia is about the second lowest. South Australia in September got 73% of its electricity from wind and solar. And this is the highest proportion in the world of any substantial state. And uh, so the more you bring solar and wind into your electricity system, the lower are the wholesale electricity prices. The retail prices, however, are more or less unrelated to the wholesale prices, and they relate to the poles and the wires and the billing and the um, accounts and the and the uh, advertising and all the funny games that various companies play in sending the wholesale electricity down to thousands of retail customers. Now, Andrew, I've got a a, a six kilowatt like you uh, system uh, photovoltaics on my roof. But unfortunately, I also have gas heating. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> and we have a uh, uh, a gas stove as well. And getting rid of those isn't going to be that easy. And I've been really disappointed to see our electricity bills haven't really dropped nearly as much as I would hope. And I don't have a battery storage or anything. And it's very difficult because it's bundled. I have a bundled electricity uh, gas system. Do you have any comments or suggestions for me? And I'm guessing our listener too might be uh, in a similar situation. Okay, so how do you heat your water? Uh, Electricity. Um, Uh, It's an old style. Off-peak. No, not off-peak even. Oh, that's very expensive then if you're just heating uh, at on-peak prices. So the cheapest way um, over the, over say, a 10 or 15-year time frame to get hot water and heat into your home and cooling in summer is to use heat pumps. So you can have an air-to-water heat pump to take uh, heat from the air using electricity and put it into a 300-litre storage tank. And that's about three times cheaper to run than a, a, a straight uh, resistive electricity system. It's also cheaper than gas. For heating your air in winter, then again, it's a, a heat pump. This is a reverse cycle air conditioning system. So there can be a set of um, r- little reverse cycle air conditioning systems uh, on various windows in your house, or you can have one single heat pump with a ducted system under the house. And um, they're expensive up front, just like a ducted gas heater is, but um, the operating cost is much lower. So I just moved away from gas heating of water and air, and it looks like over the course of the first year, I will have got rid of all of my gas and my electricity production from six kilowatts on my roof will approximately equal the electricity consumption over one year. So I will have greenhouse neutralised my house. And I think the ACT government provides a subsidy for the transition? That's correct, and that's built into the quotes that you will get. Okay. So, did you, did you explain why our retail prices are so, so high compared to the... Um, the they're high in that they, um, they do reflect um, higher wholesale prices in the past and they are gradually coming down. But um, wholesale prices are averaging about um, five cents per kilowatt hour and retail prices are up in the 20 or 30 cents per kilowatt hour range. How is that happening? So you can see that the costs at your house level have very little to do with costs in the wholesale market. Are all the retailer, electricity retailers in cahoots with each other to keep the prices up? Why isn't there competition to to drive them Um, down? It's a natural monopoly in that you don't have 10 different wires coming to your house. 
So there's only one set of wires and okay. there's an artificial Sorry, market. Canberra have just built. got Evo Energy, is that right? Yeah, and Canberra has actually about the cheapest retail electricity in the country. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it's more expensive in the regions, obviously, because you've got to send power. Despite we're 100% renewable here and we've got the cheapest in the country. Um, yes, so um, the fact that renewable electricity is cheaper means that if you invest in renewables you end up with cheaper electricity but the the, the fact is that most of the price of, of retail has got nothing to do with the wholesale electricity so the charge. retailers are making a killing right now well they've also got a lot of costs and i i'm not familiar with um the ins and outs to see whether i doubt that they're making a killing but uh, i think there's probably a fair bit of friction in the system if you want cheaper electricity i've got one advice for you go out and put a solar system on your roof there's two advantages. One is your electricity price uh, bills will go down, and the second is you start um, you help get rid of gas and coal out of the electricity system. Right. But it's a it's a big upfront investment, but over the long term, then save money. Uh, not the long term, even um, short to medium term, you'll get your money back in two, three, four, five years, depending on where you are. It's right. it's a remarkably good investment, right. and it's tax free. Okay. Um, now, Andrew, where would you describe the politics of Australia? And what would you say to those uh, recalcitrant uh, politicians who aren't really doing as much, would you agree, uh, to kick along the renewable energy revolution as they might? Well, I think we've got a lot of hydroxychloride or whatever it's called in the um, discussions about renewable energy and climate change. <clears throat> um, there's factoids that float around which have no relationship to the truth. Um, the fact is that all the state governments now have signed on to zero emissions in 2050. I cannot understand why the federal government just doesn't bite the bullet and do the same. Mm. Then we can have a mature argument about, well, why don't we do it in 2040 and get rid of all our emissions? We can also observe that the, the more and the faster you bring renewables into the electricity system, the faster electricity prices at the wholesale level go down. We could discuss, as we do in the ACT, um, how we can accelerate the move of, uh, to electric vehicles so that we can get rid of oil and push gas out of, uh, starting with new suburbs and uh, a little later um, push gas out of existing suburbs. Now, I understand you spend a bit of time engaging with politicians and perhaps those in the, uh, the federal government. What kind of conversations do you have? What sort of attitude uh, opinions do you get from them that might help to explain what we're seeing well when i talk to greens politicians it's uh, a very easy discussion we're all in furious agreement when i talk to people from the um, federal and state alp there's largely uh, agreement there's not many disagreements it's more about the that they're thinking more about the politics of it um, when i talk to some members of the federal government it's an easy conversation, uh, easy conversation with Malcolm Turnbull, who is thoroughly on side. Uh, no conversation at all with um, the current Prime Minister. Um, if I went and talked to the New South Wales government and talked to Matt Keane, it would be a very easy conversation. He is saying all sorts of good things, sensible things. There's nothing more conservative than conserving the planet. Um, but then there's some recalcitrant federal backbenchers, such as um, Kelly and Christensen, who seem to have taken leave of um, any relationship to the real world and to science and just talk nonsense. Uh, and uh, what would you recommend for the people who are listening if we want to uh, see some change? Look at facts on the ground. Facts on the ground is that solar and wind are 99% of all new generation capacity. Why is this? Because it's cheaper. 
All right. Well, I'm very unfortunate. I think we've got to wrap it up now. Um, it's been great to have you on the program. And if you ever would um, have time to come back on again, I'd love to have you back because I've got so many more questions to ask. Um, sorry, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of announcements from me. Uh, of course, we mentioned the Ask Fuzzy column that appears today. And I'm really hoping, Andrew, you might write one for us, uh, perhaps about the gas, because uh, the use of gas uh, hydrogen in Canberra, because that's a big issue at the moment. But more exciting, Thursday is going to be a big, big day for me. Uh, well, of course, we have the US election and we're all watching that very nervously, hoping that goes the right way. Uh, but uh, my book, my book is finally here on Thursday. It will be released uh, 10 Journeys on a Fragile Planet. And would you believe it's a great pleasure to have you here on the show today, Andrew, because Professor Andrew Blake is, is one of the chapters in that book. And uh, in that we tell the story about uh, how we got to where we are today with the uh, solar energy, pumped hydro, renewable energy. And uh, Andrew has a terrific story as a pioneer of that in Australia. Okay. And as I said, if you've got any questions for Andrew Blakers or uh, other science questions in general, please uh, send them to us at the Fuzzy Logic Facebook page or what was your email, Ron? Uh, askfuzzy at zoho.com. Okay, so this has been Fuzzy Logic on Canberra 2XX uh, and with Andrew Blakers from the Australian National University. Um, thanks for tuning in and catch you again next week.